um, been looking at the, um, the deity of Christ. Uh, again, why, why is this so important? Um, we've seen that Christ, obviously, Christ is eternal God. Um, he was in the beginning with God, uh, was God, always has been, always will be. He's everlasting. Um, and so, you know, he is uh, eternal God. Um, but yet we've also seen, as we were starting to look at last week, that he was manifested in the flesh. Uh, of course, this was prophesied um, about his um, birth in Isaiah chapter 7, verse number 14. Uh, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, shall call his name Emmanuel. And of course, the name Emmanuel means God with us. Um, so even before Christ was born, hundreds of years before Christ was born, um, in a physical, earthly, fleshly body. Again, he did not begin there. He has always been, always has been. Um, but when he was manifested in the flesh, um, that had been prophesied. And one of the things that we find is there in the Old Testament, there are 60 major prophecies specifically concerning the Messiah. Okay, 60 of them. Um, one, that he would be born, he'd be born of a virgin, where he'd be born, I mean, uh, all of these different things. There are over 270 ramifications that directly come from those prophecies. Um, and what we find is that Jesus Christ, when we look at all the prophecies, Jesus Christ fulfilled every single one. Every single one of them, okay? Uh, again, we don't have the time to go through all of them. I mean, you're talking about 270 things, things that happened because of what he did. Um, but I, I really like the, um, the way that, um, just to show you how unfathomable, unfathomable, that's not even unfathomable that is in fulfilling these. I try to use big words and it doesn't work. <laughs> um, so think about this, right? The probability of Jesus fulfilling just eight of these 60 major prophecies is 1 in 10 to the power of 17. Just eight of them, right? We're not even talking about all 60 of them. We're just talking about eight of them, okay? Now, just to, again, to help understand the, um, how, just what that means. Obviously, you know, you could put a bunch of zeros up there, um, but that still really doesn't, really doesn't help it. I, I really like the way that this, um, this guy put it. He basically said, um, this guy's name was uh, Peter Stoner. Um, he said, if you think about the entire state of Texas, right? Everybody knows Texas is big, right? Texas. And you covered the entire state two feet deep with silver dollars. You'd be very rich, okay? Two feet deep, two feet deep with silver dollars. And you marked one silver dollar and put it out there somewhere. What are the probabilities of you just walking out there and just picking up that one silver dollar that has that mark on it, right? Out of the entire state, right? That's, that's what he says. It's, it's absolutely astronomical, okay? The, it's, it's impossible. But yet, and that's eight of them. Imagine 60 of them. And yet Jesus fulfilled all 60 of these prophecies, okay? 
Um, so again, not only was Jesus the physical and the prophesied manifestation of God, but he's also the perfect manifestation of God. I mean, he fulfilled everything perfectly. Um, and that's why uh, in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 15, he says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. We, we kind of alluded to that this morning. I mean, think about everything that Jesus went through. And by the way, I guess I need to make a correction. I guess um, sometimes I don't really realize what I say. But I guess, and I don't know if anybody picked it up, this morning when I said that Jesus was born in the home of Mary and Martha. (laughs) It was supposed to be Mary and Joseph, right? My wife told me, she said, did you know that you said? I said, no, I did not know that I said. I think everybody understands that I know that Jesus was not born in the home of Mary and Martha, okay? Uh, It was Mary and Joseph's. (laughs) But from the time that Jesus was born in Mary and Joseph's house, okay, um, throughout those 33 and a half years, never one time did he show anger in the flesh. Never one time did he get annoyed and strike out, lash out. And and you have to understand, this is not just the physical aspect of it, right? Right? It's not just the words being said, right? We're happy if we can just keep the words in. But they're sure going on up here, aren't they? Right? But they wouldn't wouldn't even be going on up here. I mean, think about that. Perfect. Perfect. And that's why he says here in Hebrews 4, he says he was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. And so he is absolutely perfect in who he was. Okay? But in spite of Jesus' perfection, and again, you, you cannot find fault in anything. Even Pilate says, I find no fault in him. The, the, the high priest and everybody, the only fault that they could find is that he claimed to be God. That's the only fault they could find in him. Even when they tried to have people come in and, um, and lie about it, even their lying couldn't even agree, right? So you have this perfect man who is God. He lives a perfect life. He dies on the cross for our sins, and yet there are still those who will deny his deity and try to denigrate who he is. And try to bring him down, making him appear weak, um, giving him over to fleshly desires. There are, um, I mean, you, you think about all that has been said about Jesus to try to make him look like us, sinners. All kinds of things have been said about him. That the women that traveled around with him were part of his harem. That Jesus and Mary Magdalene were lovers. I mean, all kinds of things have been, have been said about Jesus to try to make him look like a fool. To try to look, make him look like nothing, right? Um, what, was this, what was this book that came out a few years ago? Um, that he, I think they turned it into a movie or whatever. Um, the shack what is God in the shack a woman 
What are they trying to do? They're trying to make God and bring God on man's level, right? In September 2020, this is just two years ago, right? The Church of Iceland posted an online advertisement in, in Facebook, right? It featured... And I'm not trying to be um, crude here. I'm just telling you what they did. They featured a bearded Jesus with breasts, makeup, and a dress dancing under a rainbow. You think I'm lying? There it is. This is, this is how they were trying to portray Jesus in Iceland. Yeah, it's crazy, Right? But, and, but they're always trying to, and, and this, this cartoon was displayed on public transportation. It was displayed on buses all around the capital city of Iceland. I mean, all over. Um, after they received a lot of backlash for the cartoon, the church removed the ad. And again, this is the church of Iceland. This is supposed to be the religious church of Iceland, right? The church. After they got a lot of backlash for it, <clears throat> they removed it. From the internet, they removed it from the vehicles. Um, they expressed regret that people were offended by it. But this is what the, the church's media representative stated. We are trying to embrace society as it is. We have all sorts of people, and we need to train ourselves to talk about Jesus as being all sorts in this context. Again, they're not trying to hide it. They're, they're, they're making it very public, right? Um, this, is, this is sad. Somebody shared, shared this article with me and I looked it up. The, the title of the article says over 60%, um, and I just can't even keep that up there anymore, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, over 60% of professing Christians deny Salvation through Christ alone. Did you hear that? 60% of professing Christians deny salvation through Christ alone. Jesus, Muhammad, and Buddha can all lead to heaven according to a study revealing the beliefs of over 60% of professing born-again Christians. Born-again Christians in America between the ages of 18 and 39. The results of the survey also showed that over 30% say that they believe Jesus sinned just like others or they aren't sure. Now tell me the world is not doing a very good job of trying to deny the deity of Jesus Christ. It's one thing for the world to say that Jesus is a sinner. But when you have people that claim to be born again Christians and 30% Say, they think Jesus is a sinner just like we, you and I are? We've got a serious problem. What percentage of the Christian community so-called is I have no idea. I'm not sure. Brother Ross asked what the percentage of the uh, Christian community is Catholic. I'm not really sure. But I don't, I don't even know if a Catholic would call themselves born again. Right. Then you're not saved. 
Right, yeah. Yeah, but we're talking about those that actually claim to be born-again Christians, right? The survey called the Basic Bible Worldview had dropped among, Christian, among American Christians from 47% in 2010 to 25% in 2020. So the basic world, biblical worldview states that God has divine attributes, it's the accuracy of the Bible, the Word of God, salvation through Christ alone, and the sinless deity of Christ. In 2010, it was 47%. In 2020, it's 25%. 25%. Those who held an expanded biblical worldview, in other words, belief about Satan and morals being objective, also declined from 32% in 2010 to 16% in 2020. The study, which compared the 18 to 29 uh, age group from 2010 with the same age group 10 years later, now 30 to 39, said the halved percentage of professing born-again Christians with the biblical worldview over the last decade is a startling degradation in worldview beliefs of born-again Christians over just 10 years. In 10 years, from 47% to 25%, that's almost half. Now, we would think, right? I mean, I've grown up in a a Bible-believing home. I've grown up in Bible-believing churches where... You don't even debate this, right? You don't even, you don't debate that is Jesus God or is he not God? There's no debate to it. Jesus is God, right? There's no debate about did Jesus sin? No, Jesus is sinless. There's no debate to it, right? How? How have we gone in just 10 years? And we're not talking about 70 years ago. We're talking in 10 years, just 12 years ago from 2010, from 47% to 25%. Now, again, I understand, you know, I understand you can, you can surveys and, and how those things go, but that is a huge drop. So here, here's my question. And this is something I'd be very interested to, to see what you have to say about this. How does that happen? I want you to think about it. How does it happen that, again, we, we say America's a Christian nation. I don't think that's true anymore. I don't think it's been a Christian nation for a long time. I believe it was founded on Christian principles, right? But how in just 12 years, from 2010 to today, that now 60% of born-again Christians think that you can go to heaven through Jesus, Muhammad, or Buddha? That think that Jesus could have been a sinner? How does that happen? What do you think? How how does that happen? Because that's not just... That's scary. If it's 25% now, what's it going to be in another 10 years? Does Scott?
Mm-hmm. You can understand that kind of confusion in a person that maybe just got saved. Right. Mm-hmm. So Brother Scott said this, easy, this idea of easy believism, you know, this one, two, three, repeat after me, you know, you believe in Jesus, okay, you're saved, you're going to go to heaven. Um, or just the lack of, of teaching, um, teaching of the Word of God, okay? What else? Ms. Rachel? So how does that happen? You go to, I mean, go to a Bible college, right? And half of the class that you graduate with doesn't believe the same things that you would say you believe now, which I would assume the things that you were taught in the Bible college are the same things that you believe today, right? So how does that happen? Again, and this is, so this is a, this is a great example. A Bible college where everybody's supposed to be a Christian. Now, I can attest that just because you're at a Bible college doesn't mean you're a Christian because I wasn't, Right? But how does half of a class that graduates from a Bible college not hold to those same beliefs anymore in 14 years? How, do, how does that happen? Television? Television? <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's true. I mean, yeah, you can have the television, you can have what's going on at school like this, but these are people that aren't in school anymore, right? These are people that have most likely been in church for a while, I would say, right? Again, this is, these are 60% of born-again professing Christians that would say this. Again, I can attest, I wish I could say that everybody I went to Bible college with that I know graduated is still serving the Lord. Um, I can't say that, um, I really don't know what the percentage would be because I, I lost contact with so many when we were overseas. But I mean, what you, you have people graduating from a Bible college, and yet now these are adults who do not believe the same thing that they were taught at that time. Now they believe something different. Ms. Nita? Mm-hmm. And I know when I was attending, I always kind of, I always thought our family was odd and different. I thought it was because we were kind of poor. I, I, you know, not because, um, but as I kind of look at it, I think it's, it was more 
and you know we were taught like we're taught here and um, that just really wasn't what a lot of other people believed you know mm -hmm. you be a part of sports or whatever I'm talking the end of high school mm -hmm. it just was things were not the same and I think part of it is I remember from that point on into through college that it seemed like the whole it was the whole music thing was a big to do within all kinds of denominations mm -hmm. and it was more the you know we paring things down to attract others in right and you know you know from scripture as soon as you give the devil a little foothold mm -hmm. there it goes and that's exactly what i part of what i believe contributed to all of that and it, it's very very sad mm -hmm. so you think some of it has to do with music then Right. And mm -hmm. not standing firm and not being um, fed, you know, like we are here. I mean, everybody has the opportunity to be a part of things. But mm -hmm. if you do what, you know, well, I checked church off my list. I've attended right. one time this week. Mm -hmm. So then off I go. And it doesn't mean if you can't go, I mean, you know, everybody has a similar circumstance. Sure. But I mean, you have to really make the commitment that it's, you know, we have to do this. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, just the whole teaching, um, whether it's the music um, subject or it's the actual teaching, if it is not all this. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I was in a Christian school. We had to learn scripture. We had to do all these things. But, you know, it just kind of was that we do what we have to, to get through. Right. And then if that's not really what you, you know, hung on to in your own heart, mm -hmm. then, you know, it can Right. Yeah. Um, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ms. Don? And there was a time in this country where you could say something like, we know that's good, and most everybody would know what that was about. Sure. Right? Or Adam and Eve. And now you find that people don't even know those basic stories. And I think as time has gone on, for whatever reason, so many churches have tried to water things down. Yeah. And so instead of being a concentrated version of what the Bible teaches, it's been so diluted. Right. And, and maybe I can just marry the idea of you know, evolution with, with creation and, and just mix it all together, but it's so diluted, mm -hmm. they don't even know what the original concentration was to begin with. True. And it makes confusion. Right. Which is what, you know, you've been talking mm -hmm. about. Like, God's not the author of confusion. Mm -hmm. The devil sticks his little foot in there and right. starts to mix everything up. Yeah. Josh? Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Lauren, did you have something? Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ms. Terry? Here's okay, Leah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, those are really good, really good thoughts. Um, it's really puzzling when you have, <laughs> like, well, I'm glad I'm not a Christian anymore. <laughs> Do you even understand what it means to be a Christian? Um, I, I really think the, I really think the root, and again, I, this is just my personal opinion, um, we, can, we can blame church all we want, but it's not the church's fault, right? Because the church is simply made up of homes, families. And this is why I think there is such a stress in the Word of God on the parents teaching and training their children and bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Um, yeah, I'm glad we have classes. I'm glad that we have Master Club. And man, the kids learn so much through it. I'm glad that the teens are over there having class right now and the juniors are having class and things. I, I'm glad that, there are, that we have a place where they, they can come and continue learning, right? Uh, and they can be excited about coming to church and learning some of these different things, okay? But if all it is is in the church, by the way, they're not mad, all right? It's not like they, got, they just got mad and they're up and leaving. That's... That's, that's my cue to be like, Pastor, you better start toning it down here because people are about ready to leave. No, um, they're just going over to help get stuff ready. Um, and I just totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> Thank you. Um, if there is such an emphasis in the Word of God on the parents teaching and training, right? And I think what happens so often is we as parents just delegate it to the church, well, the, the church is going to teach them, right? I mean, we send them to Sunday school. We send them to master club. We send them to junior church, right? And I think that's why you can have, like Brother Corey said, you can have kids grow up in church, be in church all their life, and walk out these doors and say, I do not believe what they believe. Because if it's not personal at home, if we don't teach, again, and this is, we've kind of been emphasizing this throughout this whole, this whole series, if we don't teach our children the reliability of the Word of God, if we don't teach our children to love God, that you can trust Him, His Word is true. Yes, I understand they have to make the choice. I get that, right? And, um, you know, I, I, I was raised in a Christian home, and for 20 years, I, I didn't care. Right? I, I understand that. Um, because they have to make their own choice. I had to make a choice, right? But when you're talking about this drastic change just over a short amount of time, I, I really believe it is that. I, I, my dad and I were talking about this the other day. Christianity, when you look at it in the Bible, when you look at it through the centuries, Christianity was not just something you added to your life. It was your life. It was your life. When you became a Christian, that became your life. 
But in our society today, we just want to add it to everything that we're doing. And church has conformed to that. Churches have just accepted that, right? And so you're not, you're not hearing preaching on abiding in Christ. You're not hearing preaching on following the Lord and being totally sold out and committed and things like that. And that, that's very unfortunate, right? But it has to go back to the Word of God. If I truly believe, and here's the thing, right? Because if, if you say that you really believe that Jesus could be a sinner, do you understand that that affects so many different doctrines? One mainly is called your salvation. If you believe Jesus was a sinner, then you cannot have salvation through him. So maybe it is through Muhammad or Buddha or whatever. Because if it's not through Christ, if he's not perfect, then who is it through? And when, when Christianity, and, and I, I hate even using the word Christianity, um, when a person becomes a follower of Christ, right? That's, that's what the disciples were. They were followers of Christ. Then everything becomes about him. And especially in America, it's not, what's what I want to say here? It's not, um, it doesn't work out for us to let him be our life because that ruins my life. It ruins all my plans, ruins all the things that I want to do. Because if I'm really going to be a follower of Christ, that means I have to put him first. And so I'll believe in him, but I won't make him my life. I won't allow Christ to really be my life. And that's why even when you look in Colossians, right? Go with me to the book of Colossians there. In Colossians chapter 3, what does he say in verse number 1? If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. I mean, he's saying, look, if we are truly born again, then everything ought to be about Christ. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. So again, our life is hidden in him. It's not about us anymore. And watch what he says in verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. When you, look at, when you look at Paul and you look at some of these others, you think, man, what was so special about them? Nothing. There was nothing special about them. They were flesh and blood just like you and I. The only difference is Christ was their life. And when we put Christ first and we say, look, you know what? I will answer questions. You know, I I love answering questions. And my kids ask me questions all the time. Um, They're they're always trying to stump me on things. Um, 
But there's not going to be a question, is this really the word of God? Dad, are we sure that this really is the word of God? That, that's not a question we're going to ask because it is. Are, are we really, Dad, do, do we really think that Jesus is God? Do we really think that Jesus died on the cross? That, that's not going to be a question. Because he is, and he did. And that's the only way we can be saved. Dad, are we really sure that, that salvation is only through Jesus Christ? That's not going to be a question. Because we want them to know, look, what the Bible says is true. We can rely on it. It's truth. What we have to do is believe it. And we have to teach it to our children so that they believe it. If, if our children can grow up in church and grow up in Christian homes and walk out and say, I don't believe that. And we're seeing that happen more and more and more. Then have we really taught them that the Bible is the truth? Are we really, really teaching them that, hey, there's nothing greater than this. There's nothing more powerful in this world than God's word. And again, I, I understand kids have to make their own choices. I, I had to make mine. I made wrong choices. Okay? But I'm afraid in our country we're living in, we're living in just such a society where this is not important anymore. It's not important in our personal life. Our kids don't see us reading the Bible. They don't hear us talking about the Bible. We go to church, we go home, we never talk about what was done at church. We never talk about the message. We never talk about, we never hear Christian music playing in our homes. They catch what we emphasize. And I, 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 I don't know. I don't know how. Half of a class <laughs> can graduate from a Bible college and not believe anymore other than it was never real in the first place. It just wasn't real. And that's why we have to do such, we have to be, I don't want to say overbearing, but we have to make sure that we are teaching the word of God whether it's to our children, our teenagers, whether it's to... Some of you have been in church longer than I've been alive. And you're thinking, why are we teaching on the deity of Christ? We believe that. Because we have to. We have to. We've got to make sure that we have it settled, that we're not going to question it, that we believe what the Bible says. Jesus is God. The Bible is the word of God. We can trust it. We can depend on it. What it says is true. Because the devil is just going to keep fighting and keep fighting and now, I mean, just even how, with the, uh, the internet and media, and social media and all this kind of thing, there is just a blatant attack against Jesus Christ and against his word. And we have to really be on guard about this um, because they're not hiding it anymore. It used to be very subtle, right? It's, it's not subtle anymore. 
right? Um, when, you can, when you can have a country post a picture of Jesus the way they did, it's, it's not subtle anymore, right? Um, well, we didn't get far, but I think that was really good. Um, if nothing more than just to remind us how important it is that we make sure that it's true to us. If it's true to us, then we can help it be true to someone else, right? Whether it's our children, teenagers, friends, neighbors, whoever it is, um, it's got to be true. It's got to be real. It's got to be real, right? All right, let's pray. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for your word. And uh, Father, I pray that you would help us, um, Lord, to realize the, the gravity of this, the seriousness of this. Lord, that it would be real in our personal lives, Lord, it would be real in our families. It would be real in our church. And Lord, that we can be able to share that in our community as well. That they could see Christ in us. And Father, help us. Help us to protect our families, to guard them. And uh, Lord, just to instill in them the truths that we find in your word. And not just what is there, but even the why. This is why we believe it. This is why we do this. Lord, that it's because of you. And so, Father, we just thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.